uh, Philemon chapter 1, the only chapter actually. So we're going to, we're starting a new series today and I will read this and we will pray in just a minute, but I just wanted to kind of give a quick intro to the series, a series that we're calling the Postcard Epistles, uh, because these are often what they're called, these very small little letters, uh, like uh, Philemon that is only about a half a page on, in my Bible, as well as Jude, as well as 2 John, 3 John, as well as uh, we'll look at one Old Testament psalm, Psalm 117, which is a whopping two verses long. <laughs> and we're going to look at these things because they're, they're things that you can sometimes take lightly or go, oh, they're just kind of peripherals. They're, they're, like, uh, you know, they're, they're like something that you don't really feel like you need. But actually, we need these things. These are in God's holy word, and these are very small little letters, but they have really big truths in them. In fact, big enough that we're going to spend three weeks in Philemon and three weeks in Jude. So what I want to do over the next three weeks with Philemon is I want to read through the whole letter each time. It's not very big. It's about the size of a normal chapter that we would take on a Sunday. I'm going to read through the whole letter, but we're only going to look at a certain section. So this week we're going to look at the first seven verses. So follow with me as we read the book, the letter, from Paul to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Apiphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command what is fitting, yet for love's sake I'd rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten whilst in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, and that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent I want to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that he might receive, uh, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive me as you would, receive him, sorry, as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, I will repay, not to mention that you owe me your, even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. And having confidence uh, in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me. That as I, uh, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. 
Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greet you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And Father, I pray that as we start getting into this powerful little letter, Lord, that you would remind us and show us what it means to actually be transformed by your love, the love you showed us in the gospel. Oh Lord, it's easy for us to take this stuff lightly. It's easy for us to, to nod or give lip service. But Lord, we need that supernatural work that only you can do in our hearts, that we would learn to love like Jesus. Father, use this time to bring big change into our lives. Do it for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, Amen. So I'm calling this section that we're looking at, or actually this, this letter, as we look at uh, Philemon, I'm calling the, the, this, these three messages transformed by gospel love. And I'm, I'm calling that on purpose. I usually don't kind of tell you guys what my title is. It might be on the paper, but I don't tell you. But I'm, I, I wanted to bring this out because it's important that we recognize. I'm not just talking about... I'm not just, I just didn't want to say God's love in a generic way. Because when someone says God's love, often that can be kind of an open to interpretation. But when we say gospel love, then we're getting a bit more specific. We're wanting to, to draw the lines a bit clearer what we mean by this. We are indeed talking about God's love. We are indeed about talking about how God's love does change us, how it transforms us as individuals. And, and as it transforms us as individuals, it transforms our relationships. But we're talking about that love as it's been shown through the person and work of Jesus. Because Jesus is the gospel. He's the good news about God. And so we, we want to see how this gospel love actually changes lives. It's important for us to understand a bit of the background here, too. Um, we don't know for sure why Onesimus, who was a slave, we know he's a slave, but we don't know for sure why he left. Traditionally, we believe that he probably stole something. Uh, we, we get the indication from the letter that he wasn't a very good slave, and he stole something, and he ran away. And then maybe he felt guilty, or maybe he was just afraid he was going to get caught. And so somehow he runs into Paul when, when Paul's in Rome in prison. The, the largest city in the Roman Empire, Onesimus just happens to run into Paul. Or maybe he even sought Paul out because he was feeling guilty. We don't know for sure, but here's what we do know. As he seeks out Paul, Paul tells him, look, your biggest worry is not standing before uh, Philemon, it's standing before Jesus. And the good news is, is he loves you so much. He, he died for you so you could be forgiven and adopted and brought into his family. And Onesimus believes this, and he's radically saved. In fact, we know he's radically saved because he's willing to go back. Mm. And we'll talk about how serious it was for a slave to go back to, a runaway slave to go back to his master next week. But we also want to see that, that this is a, a, a book that, that where, where Philemon was sort of hosting a church in his house, where he was, was in the city of Colossae. And, and so when Paul wrote this, probably from Rome, it's probably about the same time that he wrote his letter to the Colossians, the Christian church in Colossae. And so, in, in fact, we even see in Colossians that, that, that it was Onesimus who was involved in distributing that letter. 
And so it's interesting that, that this, this little epistle, this little book, this little private letter, really, uh, to Philemon, he, there's not tons and tons of like overt doctrine. But one of the reasons for that is, the reason there's not tons of deep theology in one sense, is because that deep theology was in the letter that went with it. In fact, one of the commentaries that I'm using actually is a commentary on Colossians and Philemon together because it's almost like these things need to be taken together. So that what you have is Paul giving us this really deep uh, uh, of theology in Colossians, this, this idea of what it means to be Christ-centered or Jesus-centered in, in uh, Colossians. That that's being worked out practically in Philemon. So that, that, that Paul's kind of saying, look, you, you've heard the doctrine, you've heard some general applications. Now Paul's going to say, I'm asking you to live out this Christ-centeredness. I'm asking you to live out, to practice this gospel love. And so even just for that reason, this book is radically important because it reminds us that, that we are studying this book. These, these letters are meant to be read and studied, not so we can go, oh, I understand theology now. I, I'm, I'm intellectually stimulated. This is good. No, they're, they're given to us so that we are actually changed by these things. That they change us from the inside out. That they change all the relationships that we have. And we see some of this hinted at, even in this, the first seven verses of this letter. We see that, that, that Paul, in the way he communicates with Philemon and his family, that, that gospel love is the foundation for their relationships. And if we call ourselves Jesus followers, guess what? Gospel love needs to be the foundation of all of our relationships. And so picking it back up in verse 1, Paul introduces himself here not as an apostle, but as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and of course includes Timothy, uh, his brother in this. Now what's interesting about this is that Paul doesn't just here introduce himself as a prisoner, he doesn't just kind of mention in passing, four times in this little epistle he mentions his imprisonment. In verse 1, verse 9, verse 13, and verse 23, he says something about his imprisonment. And, and there have been some people who have been critical of Paul in this. They've been saying, oh, Paul must be trying to guilt trip Philemon into action. But I, I think nothing could be farther from the truth. If Paul wanted to use leverage to get something done, he would have said, I'm an apostle. He says this, right? I, I, he says this, we'll see, see this next week. He could have said, hey, I'm an apostle. You just need to do what I'm telling you to do. This is what God's will is. But he doesn't do that. He, he appeals to him based on their relationship, and he begins to, rem, to remind him, listen, I know you care for me, and I just want you to remember who I am. I'm a prisoner. But he doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of the Roman government. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That's what he calls himself. This is interesting. Paul sees himself as having been imprisoned for Jesus. And this means that in a, in a real sense that Jesus, who is Lord over all, wanted him to be in prison. Now remember, he's, he's under house arrest in Rome during this time. So it's not the worst prison he's ever been in. And it's during this time in Rome he's writing these great letters that would not just help the churches back in that day, but have had a massive pact in all of Christendom over the last 2,000 years. But he sees this. He sees this, that it's, that it's okay. He's okay with being in prison. Why? Because he follows Jesus. Because he sees Jesus is Lord. He's in control. Even in prison, Paul's happy that, 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 to recognize Christ's love still rules. 
Paul, Paul talks about this idea of being captivated or controlled or even imprisoned by the love of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Listen to this. I'm reading from what's called the Amplified Version, which kind of amplifies the different words being used. This is the first part of 2 Corinthians 5.14. It says, For the love of Christ controls and urges and impels us. It's not just a nice idea. It doesn't just make us feel warm and fuzzy inside. The word that is, is translated, all three of those verbs there, that, that word for control, it's a word that, it's, it's similar to this word, uh, similar to a word called constrain, or to be in prison. He's basically saying, I'm captivated completely and utterly by the love of Jesus. It's what, it's what drives me to do all that I do. It's what, it's what motivates everything that I'm about. And so Paul's not wanting to guilt trip uh, Philemon and his family. Paul's wanting to say, listen, my motivation as I'm in prison for Jesus is Jesus. My motivation in exhorting you what I'm going to exhort you in is Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's captivated by this love that's shown him and who Jesus is and what he's done. And so then we see who it's addressed to. He says to Philemon, our beloved friend... Now we know from, again, from what's in this letter and from tradition that uh, Philemon was a very wealthy uh, businessman. He owned many slaves. That was a part of his wealth. He was also a, a faithful convert of Paul. Paul had led Philemon to Jesus. It led him to faith in Jesus. Probably on one of his business trips to, to Rome or to another city. And so, so he, he was someone that Paul saw as valuable. We're going to see this more as we get down to verses 5 and 7. And then there's mentioned this woman, Apphia. I'm probably not pronouncing her name right. I hope she forgives me. Uh, Apphia. Who Paul says, to my beloved Apphia. Now, we, most people believe that this is probably uh, Philemon's wife. And one of the reasons that Paul would address her, obviously because he loves her, he sees her as a sister, but also as, as the wife of a wealthy man in whom, who hosted uh, a church in their house. Remember, in the first century, churches didn't meet in any other buildings but homes. First of all, Christianity was an illegal religion. It wasn't legal. It was illegal. It was underground. And so they had to meet in houses. And so they depended upon wealthy believers who would open their homes to have church. Now, some of you guys who host uh, house groups you know that there's a little bit of work involved in this. It's a little bit of a stress. And I'm sure there's many Wednesdays or Fridays where you're kind of going, oh, oh yeah, it's house group. <laughs> but imagine the whole church being at your house every single week. New people all the time. <laughs> and the only place they could meet at church was your house. There's a reason she was beloved. <laughs> Just an encouragement too, if you're feeling like, man, I'd like to host a house group, come talk to us. We always love more hosts for house groups. <laughs> but he writes to her. And it's interesting too because I love what the Bible says in Hebrews about showing hospitality. It says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Do you know the word hospitality? What's translated here, English word hospitality, it literally means to love strangers. Hmm. She excelled at this. You know why this is so talked about in Scripture and why Paul greets her specifically? One of the, one of the things here is that the Scripture, New Testament Scripture, is highly value hospitality. 
They exalt this idea of hospitality. Not this like, hey, I'm going to make a nice meal for you. That can be an expression of hospitality, but it's bigger than that. It's the idea of, we don't have a relationship yet, but I want to actually invite you into my home. That my privacy is not as important as you knowing Christ's love. Because listen, when we were strangers to God, God loved us. Paul addresses also Archippus. Again, probably pronouncing his name wrong. He says, our fellow soldier, with this idea that he's, you know, fighting the good fight of faith with Paul. Now, many commentators believe, many traditionists believe, that this was the son of Apphia and Philemon. Now, here's what we do know about him. According to Colossians 4.17, here's what Paul had written to him. He says, And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. In other words, he's someone who did ministry. Maybe he was leading this house group, this house church. His parents hosted it, but he was the sort of the main elder there, maybe. The, the, the point is, when Paul writes to, the, to this family, he writes to a family that are committed to gospel love. He's not trying to overcome the, the, the weakness or the unlovingness of carnal Christians. And this is a really important thing to understand in this context. Paul's not twisting anybody's arm. Paul is challenging people who love Jesus, who want to walk in his love, to apply it in ways that are radically countercultural. These are people who, who are already committed to gospel love and demonstrating gospel love. And he's calling them, he's going to call them, to apply this in something, in, in a way that's pretty radical. Now, when he gives his normal greeting, like in verse 3, which we see in almost all his epistles, he says, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That normal greeting is a greeting that we should never, ever ignore. Now, we do this, don't we? This is part of our culture. We greet each other like, uh, you all right? How are you? Right? And we actually don't care. I mean, sometimes it's fun when people say, hey, you all right? And I say, no, not really, man. And, you know, perfect, to perfect strangers, I'm, I'm not doing, you know, well at all. Can we talk about this? They're like, uh, no, I don't really want to talk to you. Because we really don't mean it when we ask, are you all right? How are you doing? It's just a greeting, isn't it? But this is not just a greeting to Paul. Paul's not just saying, you all right? <laughs> Paul's reminding them why they are right. <laughs> Why they are right with God. When he says in verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. He's reminding them, listen, we only have peace with God through the grace of God. He's reminding them, he's reminding them, listen, what they already know. The reason you're motivated to show this gospel love is because of the great grace that you've received through Jesus. The Bible says... In the book of Romans, in fact, Paul wrote this in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified, that is, rendered innocent through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in now which we stand. Roughly put, he's saying, God has, has rendered you innocent. He's pronounced you innocent because Christ took your punishment on the cross. Christ has said, uh, God has said, because there is that grace is so sufficient, you can come to me anytime you want and we can have a relationship. God is saying, listen, you, because of that grace, you have a standing with me, a position with me that cannot be removed. Grace. Man, I'll tell you what, if you're visiting today or you get nothing else, get this. That the only way you can be right with God is through what Jesus has done. 
And Jesus so wants you to know the Father. The Father so wants you to know the Son. The Spirit so wants you to open your eyes to who He is. You can have a relationship with the creator of the universe. The only thing that's keeping you from it is your sin. And though you can't fix your sin, though you can't change yourself, if you're willing to choose to put your faith in Jesus, if you're willing to put your faith that He died for your sins, if you're willing to believe that He's risen from the dead, that He's conquered all that sin does to us. He will change you from the inside out. This is what God does. See, you might be here today not being a believer and you might think, okay, gospel love, you know, that kind of sounds nice. I like love. Love's a good thing. But you need to understand, Paul's not writing to people who just want warm fuzzies. Paul's writing to people whose lives have been changed and he's saying, let's see those lives change some more. Why? Because of grace. Because this is what God gives us. This is what separates Christianity from every religion and philosophy in the world. Every religion and philosophy in the world says you need to do something to obtain heaven, to achieve nirvana, to become godlike, whatever it is. It's, the onus is on you. You have to do something. Grace is God doing something for us, something we don't deserve, something we can never earn. He did that through Jesus. In this greeting, Paul's wanting them to remember this. In fact, I love the fact that he always in his greeting is, is bringing this greeting from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God our Father. At uh, church camp this year, we're going to talk about uh, love never fails. That's the theme for church camp this year. And we're going to talk about the reality that love is so much bigger than we, ac we actually know. Mm. The love of God is great. The, the fact that we have a father. I've been reading a book recently called Enjoying God. A great little book. Talking about the fatherhood of God. And that, that, that God actually adopts us into his family. Because of what Jesus has done. Because the Bible says, as many as received Jesus to them, this is John 1.12, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. But you say, wait, John, I thought we're all children of God. No, it's only those who come to God through Jesus. Because listen, we need to be adopted. We need to be transformed if we're going to be in God's family. And God has to do that for us. But if we receive him, we, be, we can become part of his family. See, this is all really important because when we're talking about gospel love, we're talking about the love that has been shown by the Father through the Son uh, and by the power of the Spirit to us in this world. Gospel love really is family love. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying family love is gospel love. You can have a nice family and not know anything about gospel love. But if you want to know what family is meant to be, gospel love has to be at the center because the God that we worship is, is a tri-unity. He is a family in himself. And he sent Jesus to die for us so that we could be part of that family. Paul is writing to a family that's been captivated by gospel love because he's been captivated by gospel love. And he wants to, to challenge them to live that out even more. What about you? 
Are you content just to have nice relationships? I mean, let's be honest. If you've, if you've been a part of Servants Church for a while, you probably think, and, I, and I, oh, it's going to probably sound like a brag, but it's got nothing to do with me. You probably think, this is a pretty good church, and it is. I mean, we have some good relationships. We're, we're pretty healthy. I'm really thankful for what God's doing. I'm really thankful for what God's doing. But don't you want more? Don't you want to be in a place where the love that we have for each other is so much bigger than just a little bit of investment that we've made over the years? The love that we have for each other is the love that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have enjoyed for eternity past. Does that sound unattainable? Because it's not. It's exactly what Christ died for to make available for us. Let's be changed by this. And so, so Paul's writing to these guys. He wants them to know gospel love is family love. But then also if you look at uh, verse 4, he wants to encourage them that gospel love is growing love. We don't just kind of receive something and stop. We grow. Paul prays for Philemon and he says in verse 4, I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers. We'll look at verse 5 in a minute. But he obviously is just really thankful for the growth that he already sees in Philemon. And he's thankful to God for it because Paul's completely aware that if someone's grown, it's God who's doing that. You need to know that. You need to know it for yourself. If you think, man, I think I'm beginning to grow, guess why you're growing? Because God's doing something in you. And when you see growth in other people's lives, rather than say to them, good job, you're doing great, which is going to put pressure on them to try harder, say, man, I see God growing you. Because that's the truth. God grows us. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. This is why we thank God for what he's doing. This is why I thank God for Servants Church. I don't, you know, pat the team on the back, though they do a great job. I don't pat myself on the back. We say, Lord, thank you. You're doing a good job. In spite of our feeble efforts, you're doing a good job. Keep growing us. Paul's thankful for what God's doing in, in Philemon's life. But then if you look down at verse 6, part of what he's praying here, and verse 6 is a continuance of a prayer, he says, that, he says, this is why I'm praying for you, Philemon, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now the word for sharing there, it's a Greek word that you probably, you might have heard before, koinonia. It's sometimes translated fellowship, sometimes translated partnership, koinonia. And it means, it has this idea of we are sharing something that belongs to us corporately. Something's been given to us corporately and we want to share that out with anyone who's willing to partake of it. It's that idea. And so really what he's praying for is he's praying that there be a more growth. That growth would continue in Philemon's life. This is really, there's three areas that I want to point out here. One is he's praying that, that um, Philemon would grow in his effectiveness for Jesus. That as he learns more and more to express gospel love, that he's going to be more and more effective as a witness. Now, I know that uh, we have to, and you know, I think you guys know me, I, I would encourage you, we need to communicate the gospel. We can't just be nice people. We have to be new people. We have to say what the gospel is or people aren't going to understand. But let's not underestimate how important it is to keep growing in our demonstration of the gospel. 
that we would show the kind of love that God has for us. Paul said, I want to see that increase in you, Philemon. I want to see you increase in your effectiveness for Christ. He's praying for that. He's also praying for an increase in Philemon's recognition of what is good from Jesus. In other words, okay, Philemon, do you understand the riches that are yours because of what Christ has done? Do you understand the good things that God has, has made available to you through Jesus? That's the idea. That's the idea when he says, by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you and in Christ Jesus. The word for acknowledgement is a word that means the recognition of. Not just like, okay, yeah, he's done that, but like, oh yeah, God's done this. I recognize that this is true about me because of Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Paul's praying they would grow in that. And ultimately, listen, ultimately this fellowship is what? what is, who is our fellowship with ultimately? It's with Jesus. And this is an interesting thing too because one of the things I think we forget is that all that God's calling us to, and even what we're going to see here with this kind of radical application of gospel love, it's so that we can know how much we're loved. We're not gaining more of God's love by wanting to demonstrate it in more radical ways. We're just gaining an understanding of God's love. An insight, an experience of God's love. I'll tell you what, when God's called me to do ministry that is just so beyond me, to do something for somebody, to minister to somebody in some way that I just think oh, I have no, nothing left, no more strength. And then, then I do that, I don't go, wow, look at me, I've gone the extra mile. I think, wow, Lord, it's amazing how much you love them. It's amazing how much you love me. It's amazing how much you want to do this stuff in the lives of your people. You're You're awesome. My heart can't but knit itself to God more through this. In fact, this was Paul's heart. Paul wanted himself to increase. He wanted to grow. He writes about this in Philippians 3. Paul says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. He said, I focus on this one thing. Interesting. If you look at Paul's life, he was busy uh, walking around having Jesus conversations with people, competing in the marketplace of ideas with the gospel. Paul was busy writing letters. Paul was busy making tents so he didn't have to get money from churches. That's what he was doing. Paul was a busy guy doing many, many things, developing relationships that would be good for the gospel and for ministry. But Paul says, no, I'm, I'm doing, I might be busy with this stuff, but there's one thing I do. I'm pressing on to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. This is what's going to motivate you to grow in gospel love. This is what Paul wanted Philemon to be motivated by. I want to grow. Why? Because I'm so loved. I want to know that love even more. Now lastly, if you look at verse 5, gospel love is also a demonstrated love. In verse 5, Paul writes this. He says he's, here, he's praying again, or still, and he says, I'm hearing of your love and faith which is toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Notice the order. This is a really important thing, okay? Demonstrated love, gospel love has to be demonstrated love, and it has to be demonstrated first and foremost, first and supremely, to Jesus. Now this is hard for us. The, the idea of us needing to love each other, that sounds nice. That sounds like that, that could be a good thing. Maybe too good to be true, but it sounds nice. But this idea of I have to love Jesus before anyone else? Really? 
Man, Jesus used harder words than this. He talked about, unless you hate your mother, brother, sister, wife, child, you're not worthy of being my disciple. Whoa. Why? Why, why? why so demanding that he exclusively be loved like this, be worshipped like this? Because until our hearts say, Lord, you're on the throne, I need to love you above all things, we won't be able to love people the way they need it. We'll always be loving people based on what they might give back to us, not based on what we've already received in Jesus. We have to love him in return first. In fact, listen to this. Uh, John writes this, the, the beloved disciple John in his epistle writes, We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. God, I want, I want to be more loving. I want to demonstrate gospel love. How do I do this? God says, start by just obeying me. Just trust and obey. There's no other way. Just know that I love you and that love is perfect, complete, irrevocable. And love me in return. And as you're seeking to love me, I will show you how to demonstrate my love in your circumstance. Now, so you don't misunderstand me. Paul is calling him and is actually praising him for how he's been demonstrating gospel love already. How Philemon's been demonstrating gospel love already. He says in verse 7, For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Paul's saying, listen, we've seen the demonstration of God's love through you. And here's the tangible expressions. One, Paul says, There's, it's been a, a joy to us who have invested in you. Paul says, I invested in you. I'm the one who saw you come to Christ. And to see you love people the way you do, man, it brings joy to my heart. We're going to see this in, in, in uh, John's third epistle, 3 John, in a few weeks' time, where John writes... Um, it's not on the screen, but he writes, uh, I have no greater joy than my children walk in truth. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. So when people come to me and they say, hey, good sermon, that, that was really good, I really like that message. It's nice, I appreciate it. It makes me feel a bit weird, I don't really need that. Uh, but I'll tell you what is awesome. It's awesome when I know I've taught something specific and then I see it happen in your lives. Nothing gives me more joy. I go, wow, Lord, they're... You're doing something. They're, you're actually using this. <laughs> you're changing people. It's a tangible experience of God's love for me when I see God's love working through you. Paul says this is what he's experienced, this joy and comfort. But also notice what he says. He says he experienced this because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you. I love that word refreshed. It's a great word, isn't it? I mean, wouldn't you love this to be what you feel like every single time you gather with Christians? I mean, I'm not naive. I know it doesn't always happen this way. But wouldn't it be amazing if every time we came together as believers, we were just refreshed by each other? I have to say, this is often my experience. A lot of times over the years, I've not wanted to go to house group or church, even though I'm the pastor, I've not wanted to go. And... And then, then you go, oh, I've got to do this. And so you go, and you spend time with God's people, and you go, oh, I'm so glad I went. Have you ever had that experience? Why? Because our hearts are refreshed by what God's doing in and through His people. It's a tangible experience. Why? Because God's love, gospel love is demonstrated love. And it's refreshing. 
Paul talks about uh, when he sent Titus to the Corinthians. And if you remember, if you ever read 2 Corinthians, the Corinthian church, even though Paul was the church planter there, they, they didn't always get on very well with Paul. In fact, Paul said to them, the more I love you, the less I'm loved. But when he sent Titus to Corinth to see how they were doing, Titus came back and said, man, those guys were refreshing to be with. And Paul praised him for that. He didn't say, we're refreshing to me, man. <laughs> he said, man, that's awesome. That's so great that, that Titus was so refreshed by your fellowship, by the demonstration of gospel love. See, here's the thing that we want to start off with, and we need to see this if we're going to understand how impactful the rest of this little epistle is. Gospel love is the foundation for all relationships, especially the ones we have with each other. So the question is, do you know this love? You've heard of it, but have you experienced the love of God in Christ? Do you know the Lord loves you? The Bible says that, that God demonstrated his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you trust that he loves you that way? And if you trust that he loves you that way, are you wanting him to change you so you can learn to love that way? This is what he wants to do. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be open to what you want to do. And I pray for anyone here who doesn't yet know your love. Father, would you by your Holy Spirit work mightily even right now as you have in our hearts to open our eyes to the love that you have for us. Help us to see that love for what it is, a love that motivates us to turn from our sin and to put our trust in you. A love that is demonstrated at the cross where all our sins were paid for so that we wouldn't have to be judged, that we could be forgiven. God, would you reveal that love to people even today? And I pray as we go through this little epistle that you would help us to hear your still small voice and how we are to grow in gospel love toward you first, toward one another, and toward all those who need to know you. Please, we pray it in Jesus' name. Everyone agrees, says, amen. Amen.